And like the last time I checked, you man don't even finance anything to do with my life. You don't, you don't check on me even just to find out like, are you all right? You know, and, and like this African mentality of like, no, kids are meant to call us. No, you laid down to make these babies. You don't buy a puppy for the puppy to check on you. Do you know what I'm saying? You don't. You don't. And so I don't give a, I don't care whose feathers get ruffled, you know, when I say this. The point is, as your child, in Africa, that's how it is. We don't do the whole auntie, uncle, nep- niece, nephew thing. It's just mums and dads and picnic them, right? And as far as I'm concerned, if you have a real concern, like you're supposed to reach out with love, not discuss me. And the excuse is used like, oh, we wanted to pray for you so you can come home with a nice wife. And I said, what if I don't want that? And I had to be strong and bold and say, no, but what if I don't want that? Because what if I don't want that? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Every L Podcast. Each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss. So sit back, relax, or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Welcome everyone to another episode of Every L Podcast where we discuss when life hands you what looks like a L, is it really a loss or is it something else? I know I've had my fair shares of ups and downs, more ups than downs, more downs than ups. Basically I'm lying, everything is just topsy-turvy for me. Depends on when day you ask me what's going on will determine what answer I'm going to give you. But what I'm going to do with my guests is ask them to cast their mind back to a time in their life where their life was definitely in what looked like a down. And then they can clarify if it really was a down or if it was an up. That's just another way of me saying, was it really a loss or was it something else? Don't know why I'm so hyped today. I think it's because the individual I'm going to be speaking to. I've known this person for oh a year, something like that. I don't know. I've known you for a little bit. Can't remember how we came, two years maybe, but COVID was there. So it kind of feels like we missed that part, right? It, it It's weird how we met. I can't remember how we met. I just know we met, we vibed, we got on with it. We've had tons of chats. The things you come across is just inspiring. Um, I think you came up with an analogy one time and I confiscated it. Yes, that's right, people. I confiscated it. <laughs> I have used it multiple times. I kept giving him credit, but no one knows who he is. So like, <laughs> it was mine. But it was just the way he understands things, the way he has a passion for his brothers, the way he is living his life as much as he can for the betterment of others, for his family, for his brotherhood, for the community. And now he's learned to do better for it by himself because you cannot pour from an empty glass. Just warms my heart. He is such a great guy. He's unfortunately had a bit of, yeah, things hadn't gone his way in recent times. Um, I won't share it. It's up to him if he chooses to. But it's nice to know that I've been available to him as and when required if he ever needed me. But he's just been so, he's such a great guy. Just, I'm not even saying this to blow smoke up his backside. It's far from that. It's just, as people should know in previous episodes, I'll give people flowers while they're here rather than on their tombstone. So I am really, really happy to be able to have him on here because then I no longer have to confiscate anything he says on this podcast. And if he does, it's mine. So it's mine. (laughs) 
but it's just it's an honor it's a privilege i am so happy and i'm only going to say part of your name because i've never said anyone else's full name on here so i'm just throwing it out there right i have king cast here right and i'm going to let him introduce himself as he see fits for the next couple minutes before we go on to what his first l he would like to talk about well thank you very much for having me on uh, Matt, thank you so much. Yes, we've known each other for a couple of years, if not just a little bit more, actually. Um, and we actually met on a weekly call for fathers, um, which was uh, powered by Brunch Brothers, my emotional well-being initiative. And we we were doing that at a time where I was doing two things. I was doing research for a show that I'm still developing and also it was just for us to get together and and to share some of our experiences um, and lessons from fatherhood, whether you're a biological father or an adoptive father, community father, X, Y, Z. So yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure for us to finally get to this point. I'm really happy to, to be here. I am King Kas Ajani, um, but we'll just go with King for tonight. <laughs> um, and uh, I am a creative entrepreneur, so um, I write films. I have written a couple of books, one of which was published back in 2014. Uh, second book is still pending publishing. I've written a couple of short films, um, one of which won the best short film at the UK Entertainment Awards in 2021. So really, really huge achievement. And we're just about to release, and that was called What Happened to Karen. And then the second film is called That's How It Really Is. And we will be releasing that in the new year, 2023. So I'm excited about that. Both very groundbreaking, very provocative pieces. And I've also recently gone back to doing music and releasing music and writing songs. And so that's really nice. Uh, but then currently, at the time of recording, um, as well as patterning like how I'm going forward, I'm also spending a lot of time with myself, doing lots of self-study. I'm taking good care of myself. I'm being mindful about my meals. I'm cleaning my house regularly. I'm shaving my head once a week. And I feel I feel good. <laughs> nice, nice, and and that that's important. That I think a lot of people can probably reflect and realize that <clears throat> it is important to look after self because it's so easy to give to others, and so also easy to forget about yourself. You know, if you're a parent or someone that's responsible for other people, it's so easy to just fall into that supporting cast role and forget that you aren't just that person's carer or that person's support, that person's parent, that person's sibling or whatever. You are your own person. I feel this way or I feel that way. I do not that person's mom feels that way or that person's dad feels that way or that person's cousin feels that way. No, 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 no. I feel this way. So now hats off to you. Keep doing what you're doing. And maybe you might inspire me to have regular haircuts. I don't know. We'll see how it runs, right? <laughs> was a good time for me. I saved some money there. <laughs> what it is, you still have a hairline to protect. I don't. So all I need is just my clippers and I stand in the shower for 10 minutes and get take care of it. I don't even need a mirror, you know, and I save about 800 pounds a year on haircuts. Thanks for that. So, so um, I'm so grateful for this baldness and I'm even more grateful for this gorgeous shape head I've got, which allows for a bald haircut to... To pass. He's looking like Morris Chestnut right now, people. If you want to know what he looks like? Morris Chestnut. If you don't know who Morris Chestnut is? I promise you, I don't miss the hair. I don't miss the effort. I don't miss, I just don't miss any of that. And and I especially don't miss spending the money. Thanks. The last time I got a haircut 
was in 28, that I paid for was in 2018. And that cost me 14 pounds. I still need to pay that bar, actually. Wow. Well, I think they probably forgot. And if they're not, there's a lot of inflation on there and late charges added to it. So, boy, you might want to just dodge that all together. I just dropped him like 100 pounds. I liked him. He was good people. He was good people. So, so good you ain't paid him in years. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump on to the first L that you'd like to discuss. So, people, as you know, I my guests tell me what they want to talk about. I don't know any different to it. I just look at it and go, hmm. Okay, let's chat about it. So the first L that we're going to be talking about or King is going to be talking about is losing out on the right to express truly and freely during childhood and how it eventually empowered me to work with and help living out the same experiences as me. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Why do you think I'm taking this time out? (laughs) Yeah. Folks, I think we're in for a ride here. So if we back up to where you feel it's appropriate to start and then you lead charge on sure. how it proceeds. Yeah. So I, I, I'd like to take that back to maybe about sort of like eight years old, you know, and um, I was living back home in Zimbabwe, a gorgeous country, and we lived a very good life, very privileged life. And I definitely um, can't complain about the quality of the living um, that we had at the time. However, I grew up in a in a big household, um, so we lived with no less than ten people at a time. Um, we weren't cramped, like I said, we were privileged and stuff. So it's hard to notice, you know, when everyone's gone to bed that there's like ten, fifteen people on the compound. However, when I looked back in my adult years, I was just looking at like how many people there really were, and the answer that came back to me was like, "Wow, like I really grew up in a great deal of chaos." And this is not, you know, this is not um, a slight on my parents um, or, or their skills in parenting. It's it's African life, you know, you live with a bunch of people. However, in that growing up, everybody seemed to be able to fit into a particular cadence of life a certain way of talking, a certain way of walking, a certain way of being, a certain way of understanding. Whereas my curiosities and my adventurous side was just so robust from a very early age, big voice, just like your precious daughter. I was, I was that banshee in the house. (laughs) Um, You know, different reasons. I was born with a club foot. So I was constantly in pain because I had to have it braced and corrected and all this kind of stuff. So I was always in pain. But the thing is, because I, I was very present and very visible and very audible from the day I was born. By the time I I started asking particular questions and making certain statements and moving a certain way, by the age of eight years old, I started to see, hear, and feel the judgment on on that nature. And I have um, a younger brother who comes just up just over two years after me and because he was the complete opposite and you know he was the quiet baby who just slept most of the time and then when the time came you know he was quick to walk quick to talk um you know academically astute really switched on i'm much more creative so i was a lot more scattered so i definitely felt the the disparity between um how he was handled and how i was handled and then also how i was handled versus the rest of the family got handled um so i was i was more disagreeable um to things i I wanted to know why you know why is this being done why is this being said what is you know what is the, the the point behind certain things um 
and I was very, very happy to express my views. And, and a shout out to my dad, you know, God rest his soul. Like he was like one of the only people that I remember um, who would who would actually listen and say, so what is this idea? It doesn't matter how ridiculous it was or how, how, how ostentatious my thought process was. My father always, always like had time to listen to me. And in fact, he nicknamed me Brilliant. Right. And, and I clutch onto that today. It's, it's so important um, what you call your kids and how you speak to them. Anywho. So, you know, because the majority of, you know, the consensus in the house was not really with my way of thinking, my way of doing, and, you know, and and I I was, and I was very mischievous, admittedly, you know, I was very mischievous. So um, it was easier for me to be sidelined and then when I would protest against being sidelined then that's when sort of like the berating would come in you know and so you know I I inherited horrible um, nicknames like you know Bonyongo the destroyer and if I remember correctly Bonyongo was like an African leader who really killed a bunch of people and destroyed a bunch of stuff you know um and then I was also nicknamed um Banana um after Kanan Banana because and he was a renowned um this is dark, but um, he was a renowned um, uh, fiddler of underage p- persons. Um, and that was because of like my, my, uh, my flamboyant and, and sometimes effeminate way of presenting. But this is like from eight years old, nine years old, right? And so these are things that I knew from early. It's like, oh, wow, okay, so that's a red flag. Don't do that, don't do that. So I found myself like starting to find these little corners where I can sort of sit and be, you know? Um, the only thing that I was able to express freely that I loved was the love, my love for airplanes. And, you know, it had been my dream since about six years old um, to become a pilot. And so I was able to f- express that really freely, but I also liked playing with my sister's dolls. I also liked um, trying on her dresses as a child. I also liked drawing dresses and I also enjoyed fairy tale stories as much as I enjoyed anime. So I had to then filter what it is that I allow people to see that I enjoy. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was a very difficult time for many years. Um, I would say from about eight to 17 is when I felt most caged in with regards to losing out on the right to express myself properly, fully, authentically. And I found myself trying to be a chameleon, in many different spaces. Um, and I got really good at it actually. But I started meeting people um, around 17, 18 years old who were just like, like I am who I am, like what else, like what else is there kind of thing. And I was like, what's that? And and it was never far away because I've always been a very big character, very big, very colorful, very just, just out there, big, big expressions. Um, and so it felt like such an L when I was about 17, 18, because I was just like, how do I get back to me? And it also became very apparent, you know, just how much I needed my dad at the time. And my dad had actually left England when I was about 14 years old. Yeah, I was 14 years old and I was about to be 15 a couple of months after he left. So that was very, very like dark and that did not feel good. And even though when he left, we didn't have the tightest relationship, but I definitely recognized the importance of having that man around and to give certain guidance. And so because he wasn't there to do it, 
it was a massive blow. It was a massive, massive blow. So that felt even more like an L because, you know, I I would go to my dad at age 10 and say, Daddy, I want to I wanna have an airline one day and I'm going to call it this and I'm going to charge the prices at this and these are the destinations that we're going to fly to, you know. And instead of like shutting it down and saying, oh, but you know, that's challenging or but you know, that's hard. He would ask me questions to further my ideas. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, okay, so what, what kind of size airplanes do you think are going to, I, I, you would you would need to use and I said well you know and at age 10 big up me and big up my parents okay because like at age 10 I'd be like well for domestic flights dad I think we'll use the 737s <laughs> <laughs> and then for the long haul flights I think a 747 would be would be accurate perhaps a 747 300 you know okay. or, or whatever I remember one time I called my dad my dad was the master of high court of Zimbabwe right so when you phone the master of high court's office it needs to be important right but yep. really it was just this nine-year-old son saying daddy could you please bring back some white navy blue and red paint I'm building a British Airways 747 in the back garden. (laughs) You're as important to him as he is to the people that look up to him. So, right, right, right. So, so, but it's like, I was, I was able to express like that and I was bold enough to express like that, you know, and my dad definitely gave me time of day, you know, even when I told my dad the title of my first book, and it's actually the last conversation we had in person many years ago. Um, The rest of our conversations were over the phone. Um, but a few many years ago, I remember like I saw my dad and um, I sat down with him and he's like, so what have you been doing? And I said, oh, you know, daddy, I wrote a book. And he goes, oh, okay. I said, and he goes, what's the name of the book? And I said, I was called Ambition is Not Enough. And he paused and he goes, hmm, very strong title, Moyo. I was like, on the inside, I was like, yes, <laughs> validation.com. And I was 25 when this happened. So this is nine years ago. I was 25. So you can imagine as a 25-year-old, that, that night I got on the plane back to England, just thinking, oh, my God, like, my dad approves. I threw a party on that plane. Like, Hell yeah. oh, my gosh, it was so lit. So, I mean, just kind of going back to the moments when I was validated and I I did feel like I could express, it just felt more and more suffocating at like 17, 18 that I couldn't. And then of course, around that same, around that same time period, 17, 18, I started to realize that I was also attracted to the same sex, man. And that was, that was horrendous because, you know, I grew up around complete homophobes. So like I started to hear, well, like I'd been hearing all kinds of commentary, ugly, ugly commentary. And I, and, I, and I speak on this so openly because I don't give a shit who feels bad about what they said back then. They said it, it landed on me, it had an effect on me, and this is the truth. And so I couldn't even express that. I couldn't turn to anyone and say, not especially within the family, couldn't turn around and say, hey, like, you know, this is what's going on. Um... And, and on top of that, when people called me names like Banana when, when I was growing up and, and um, I remember my cousin called me a faggot for the first time when I was eight. So those things, they played, they played, you know, um, um, a tape in my mind. And I remember one of my aunties, you know, she, um, she said, I remember one time that this gay couple came up on TV. They weren't even doing anything, by the way. You know, they were just gay, I suppose. And my auntie goes, um, she goes, God, like, who even wants to engage in that type of sex? Ugh, so disgusting, you know? <laughs> and and so I'm hearing these things and I'm thinking, I may not be doing that, but, like, the, the, you're, like it just felt very stunting. The way, the way they portrayed it, the way they had such disdain for that. Yeah. 
yeah. whether you was that way or not, that right. was no longer an option right. because right. they could alienate you the same way right. because they were so right. easy with it. They were so flippant with the, who wants to see that? That yeah, like what's so what like what is what is that about? You know yeah. <laughs> so so by seventeen eighteen, I just started to close up, close up, close up, close up. Um, and then on top of that, like I'd been doing some volunteering at a youth center. And at first I was like, oh my God, these British kids are so entitled. I can't even and think about that coming from a rich person who had horses and swans. Okay. And then I'm looking at these British kids and I was like, you don't live in council flats and you're, and you're bougie. Like what? I, I, that was my mindset at the time. Um, but then I lived in the same communities that these people were coming from and I was experiencing the same injustices, but I was so caught up in my own like pain and my own personal hell. So it wasn't until I really started like committing myself to going into this place like three days a week, four days a week and being on the ground and hearing what was going on with these young people, what was going on in their lives. Um, and then also seeing how misunderstood they had been. And then one of the triggers for me was also seeing how the police was dealing with black children, especially black boys. Um, I don't necessarily have that same history. Yes, I have been manhandled by the police, but my experience is far less severe than the people that I grew up around and grew up with. So I remember just kind of becoming more and more empathetic. And when I turned 19 years old, I was met, I met a crossroads and it's like, okay, cause I didn't have my papers yet. So it was like, okay, um, it's either like just sell drugs or be a full-time volunteer at this place. Cause I couldn't finesse college any longer and I didn't have papers to like try and like to back me up. So I chose the volunteering and that's when I started to realize that, oh my gosh, I actually want, I actually see where these young people have been misunderstood. They've been judged. Most important, they've been oppressed there. And then they've been made to suppress their feelings, their thoughts, their ideas, their, their emotions, their vulnerabilities, their sexual orientation. And I say that because, you know, when I was 17 years old, <laughs> When I was 17 years old, I remember staying at one of my boys' house. And I remember like, we both had girlfriends at the time. And his girlfriend broke up with him. And my girlfriend broke up with me while we were staying there or whatever. And we actually found comfort in each other one of the nights that I stayed over there. Mind you, I felt so guilty. I felt so... Because I had just got baptized like three weeks before that. So I felt like I had just done the biggest disservice to my faith. Um, if I was to say anything to that young man now, the younger me that time at 17, I'd be like, bro, man... It's not even deep. Do you know what I mean? Like there's people killing people out here. But but like it's it's like we we had to be, even though we were in a private space together for a number of days, it did it took for something really crazy to happen and then for us to feel super safe. And then even after even after like the, the comforting happened, like I was trying to talk about it, but the next day I just got a spud while man was brushing his teeth, like and then didn't want to talk about it ever again because we're just conditioned to just never revisit, never live through these things. And so I was just like, there's other boys out there just like me whether they're um, oriented how I'm oriented or not, but there's brothers out there who are like really super eccentric boys who have like interests in things that maybe black boys are not supposed to be interested in or whatever. And it's like, I know that I can speak with and speak for these people and empower them to have a voice. And so over the last hmm, 20 years or so, 18 to 20 years, I have really just kind of explored and learned so many stories. I have traveled every nook, cranny and crevice of this United Kingdom and met boys of every race, nationality and, and faith that you can name. And 
you know, the common thread that I found is that it is actually not my heritage, it's not my nationality, it's not my sexuality, it's not the color of my skin that that has had me oppressed or had me feeling shame. Um, it is the culture of how we view boys and how we view men and how from zero to six, you're the cutest little thing ever. And from seven to forever, you better be a man now. And I've learned that this is not a loss for me because I'm able to empower friends of mine who have young kids. You know, when their sons are six and seven years old, I said, look, he ain't cute no more, but also remember he's not a man either, you know? And and we wanna encourage that expression continuously into adolescence, into their teenage years, into being young men, because that's how we have balanced um, young men. So I, I, I have delivered a program under the Violence Reduction um, Fund, um, which was allocated by Sadiq Khan, who I had the pleasure of meeting and sitting down with a few weeks ago. And, you know, just kind of like kept touching base about how it went. And, and I basically told him that we need more money because like, we need more money. And so um, we had a chat and I was just telling him about like the emotional well-being. And I said to him, I said, Sadiq, like, we are asked all the time, what can we do to reduce violence? And I was like, no one's asking these boys if they're all right, man. And, and actually meaning it. So usually when you see like the silence, it is, it is that shutdown that's happened for years and years. It is that whole man up that's happened for years and years. It is that judgment words like faggot and puff and batty man and facio and all these names, these words getting thrown around. And then like, not only does he like live with those words, it's like, oh my God, I can't be that, I can't be there. But then he starts saying them. Yeah. And he starts saying them to other people. So even if he is completely hetero, right, he still has like a high level of fear of even engaging in the conversation. And even when the brother is homo, right, he also has almost an equal level of homophobia because he doesn't want to live up to someone, the, the ideals or the, or the reputation of someone who's too expressive, too loud, too flamboyant, too belligerent, too nuff, too inner, too bright, do you know what I'm saying? Like there's so many yeah. things that we avoid. And so it feels like an L because it's like, gosh, like I just want to be able to express myself. And as a child, I looked around and I thought other people were expressing themselves freely when really and truly I discovered that man, the big L that we all take is that everyone is trying to conform to meet something, but I, I couldn't, even if I tried to conform, I couldn't. So that, that whole chameleon thing, it really only worked in terms of being able to converse with people on common ground. It, it's impossible to mask my, who I am and how I present. It's impossible. It's impossible. So um, what I actually found was a really incredible set of lessons that we need to work on empathy from a younger age and not on some like color chart way that we do in primary school with kids as in really exploring real life scenarios. We live in a very multicultural country, a multicultural city more so. And, you know, there are so many stories from every, literally every corner of the globe that can inspire people not only to understand the differences of where other people come from, but the, but the similarities of how it lands on us. And so, while for me, I I came from a different economic background and I came into England and I saw this kind of like new social kind of status, which was like really just not the best, right? But then at the same time within that, I found like a grit and a resilience that I could build from, that I could take from. And, you know, vice versa, the people who were looking at me, they were like, who's this snob coming into South London talking about his pilot training and his 
daddy who pays for this and da 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 da. But then it, it, it was a thing of like, okay, I may not have been born in this space, but there is something that we can share with one another because I have the determination that regardless of what circumstances we're in, we can actually rise, we can actually do something, we can actually be something. But more than achieving on a on like a monetary level, on a status level, we can actually achieve a camaraderie and a brotherhood and a love together and an understanding and an empathy together. Um, and I, I have been blessed and privileged to be on the receiving end of that love, that acceptance, that care. You know, when I tell you that, like, and this includes you as well, Matt, you know, at no point have I had an issue with any of my male friends regarding my sexuality, you know, as much as like, it's it's still something that is being figured out now. And I want to be so clear about that. Like, you know, it's it, because, because we've grown up in a society and a culture that doesn't accept difference to the convention, I have to come to terms with my shit every day. I have to come to terms with it afresh every day. And I've been very fortunate that particularly my male friends have been very, very receptive, very warm, very accommodating, true to themselves, never forceful, and never have they tried to suggest that, oh, do you think maybe maybe if you did this differently, then, you know, no, it's just people have listened, you know, but that's also happened because I've, I've met them where they are. You know, yeah. so I've realized that regardless of like, you know, which way you swing, whatever team you play for, we've all been for pretending somehow. We've all been putting on a facade for somebody. We've all been trying to suppress something for some reason um, and just kind of finding the safe space for us to be able to come together and speak on these things, which I've been able to do that, you know, through online and, and putting rooms together. You know, Brunch Brothers is a program that I've ran for over five years now. Um, you know, and like I said, we met when, when I was doing the father's thing. You yeah. know, there are so many different things that we've been able to achieve. We've been able to come together and, you know, we've had men come together who don't even know each other in a room. And by the time they leave, everybody's crying together, hugging together, high-fiving, serving each other food, you know, um, people staying way beyond the time we're supposed to be finished, people canceling plans because, my God, what room have I found? So, 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 you know, the, the L was not a loss. It was a lesson to build a legion. Yeah. And that's, guys, I take away the whole interview process right now, but it's fine. I've got tons of questions. I appreciate you sharing it. It's a very heavy and a very taboo topic. Mm -hmm. One that I don't shy away from, but it's harder for me to talk about because I am not in that headspace. I am not in that position of where I find the same sex attractive in a way that maybe you do. So for me to talk on a topic and defend and be an ally as best I can, some people may say, but it's not the same because I've had those conversations. Mm. But I love, I love the fact that you feel comfortable enough to own who you are at this moment. You said you're still trying to work out. I love the honesty because a lot of us are not honest. We put on makeup, we put on clothes that's a little bit bigger to hide our bump on the belly mm. we we go out there we're in overdraft we'll go and buy expensive garments to act like we got peas mm. and we've got minus that's what we got mm -hmm. it's amazing how you have the strength i i'm i, I always i say this and i'm gonna probably regret it i like a challenge i like knowing that i can't settle it's like oh uh, I I, mean, I I like different people and I come across someone that can't speak a lick of English. It's like, oh, 
Where's Google Translate? Let's go with that then, shall we? <laughs> because it means that if I settle, I'm not learning. I'm not making myself welcoming. I'm not willing to meet people where they're at. Right. Hearing you talk about things, and I think a lot of people for most ethnicities will be able to identify with some of the slurs that you'd heard and have had thrown your way. By the way, anyone that's offended by that, I do apologize. Um, they weren't meant to be offensive, I'm sure. It was just a way of explaining the words that were used and were thrown at you in that term. Mm. But a lot of us have said things. I've said things when I was younger, like saying, oh, you're gay. Da-da-da-da, because I was grown, I was raised to believe that that was something that was acceptable. Right. But that is not acceptable because someone I know used to say that kids are all right at a certain age, but young ones are the ones that are hard to deal with because they don't believe their dads, their mums can be asses. It's only the ones that are old enough to understand that their parents can be wrong. Mm. Their parents can be racist. Their parents mm. can be bigots. Those are the ones you can negotiate a situation with, have a conversation with about big people thing. Mm-hmm. But the young ones, they don't know. And all they're doing is regurgitating what they've learned, what they've heard, and don't understand the damage that they're perpetuating. How, how did you feel when you identified with the fact that, you know what? I don't seem to fit in with what the TV shows are promoting because you and I are not too dissimilar in age. Mm. So a lot of the things we would have seen on TV would have been like man, woman. Mm. Mm-hmm. That would have been all the time. Mm-hmm. No different, you know. So when you're like thinking, yeah, but I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm not connecting with that. Mm. So particularly, I'm so glad you asked that. So, um, when I was growing up, I used to love watching a show called Hang Time, right? And um, it's it's from Anthony Anderson's early days. You know, shout out to Kyra Anderson. He's a friend of mine. That's his daughter. Um, and I met her like 20 years after I ever discovered who Anthony Anderson was, right? So she wasn't even born. But yeah, I used, I used to um, watch Hang Time and he, you know, was a chubby guy, black guy. So I used to identify with him. I also used to identify with how basically he was always overlooked in some way or another. He, I used to identify the fact that, you know, the girls didn't like him back, the girls that liked him and stuff. Because trust me, man, like some of the girls I used to move to back in the day, like, no, 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 correction, not some, all <laughs> <laughs> of the girls. They looked to me like, I'm sorry, the audacity. <laughs> 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 and and so I could I could identify with that. When it came to um like my my attraction or my orientation or whatever, like I remember no, they didn't represent that, but I wasn't really thinking about that. When they when they would show somebody who's like gay or bisexual or, or, or queer or whatever, they had to if they were black, they had to be over the top, honey. Like they had to just be slaying these bitches, like, like I, tight tops and yeah, and like, and it's like I know that I'm expressive and I know that I have a certain level of flair and flamboyance to me, but actually, I'm really not like that. So it was, so it made me a bit like, maybe cringe a bit. Like, okay, so why, why, why are we having to be seen either as this, like, really super effeminate kind of thing, 
dress wearing, boob wearing, like fake boobs and the wigs and all that kind of stuff. And mind you, when I was five and six, of course I was trying on my mom's dresses and her shoes and my sister's dresses and shoes. Of course I was, but and then, yeah, but as an, as an adult, like it's just not a desire of mine. And, um, and my, my interest in, in other individuals, I, for example, for me personally, I really love feminine women and I love really masculine men. That's just my thing. Right. And so I was like, but why is there nothing like in between? Um, but then it's like, that's only just, just started happening. So I couldn't rely on the television. And besides, you know, we grew up on things like, I'll be there for you. Like, you know, and Ally McBeal and Mr. Bean and keeping up appearances and EastEnders and the royal family and, and Third Rock from the Sun and Seinfeld and Frasier. Where were we? when we went yeah. mopping floors, cleaning counters, serving drinks at the bar, being secretaries or being the funny guy or being the gay guy who wears a dress. Right. And um, I'll tell you what though, I've used those, those, those kind of observations in schools across the country, you know, when yeah. people try and stereotype or, you know, or, or for example, um, if I, if I'm in a session in a classroom, like in Shropshire or whatever, and I see like, you know, there's like a few Indian girls or black girls in the room and they won't raise their hand. Um, and I'm asking question after question. So there's been times when I say, can, can the girls of color please raise their hand? And like this white and white girl raises her hand. She goes, excuse me, why the girls of color only? I said, okay, let me ask you a question. I said, who's watched American movies? They all put their hands up. I said, okay, cool. I said, um, when they have a black man in the film, does it, you know, is it true or not true that he tends to be, you know, some kind of security guard of the funny friend, uh, the, the, the joke star in horror movies, he dies first. And then, so everyone's like putting their hands up and I said, okay, cool. And I said, when, it, when there's a black woman or a woman of color in, in these movies, is it true or not true that she's either a hairdresser, the secretary, the gossip friend, the alcoholic, the, you know, the loud mouth and they all put their hands up. And I said, and so, do you, th do you not think that maybe these girls don't put their hands up because they don't want you to stereotype them in such a way? And then this little girl was silent. I said, so like I said, can the girls of color please raise their hands for my next question? Because we've literally been dictated to by media, okay? And by Hollywood. And I don't want to like stand on a flipping like podium in the highest place and be like, hey, I'm going to be an activist for this. I just think that in day-to-day -day conversations, let's not be ignorant. Yeah. Let's not be ignorant. And let's, let's actually pay attention to the realities of what we're growing up around, what is raising us. You know, I remember like when I was uh, 15 years old and I went to my friend's party in, in, in a village called Stone in Kent. And it wasn't even a party. It was like a little drink up. It was completely illegal, but whatever. Like we were in Kent, like who's going to catch us? And and I remember this guy, he was 16, I was 15, and the birthday boy had just turned 14. You know, and like we went and we nicked the pims from their mum's cupboard and like the vermouth, horrible drinks, but we just wanted to drink, right? And I remember like this older boy, he was 16, he got drunk and he goes, you know what, you, you lot are all right. I said, huh? Yeah, my dad was wrong about you, lot. <laughs> wow. I won't, wow. I won't continue. The moral of, the, of that story is 
we have we can't just glaze over conversations that we have around our kids that we have with young people we can't glaze over the realities of what people are experiencing what they're feeling what they're hearing what they're seeing because i know men who are my age who are oriented in exactly the same way i am but they will do anything and everything to keep it a secret because the perception of their masculinity is far more important than the reality of their manhood and what's the long-standing damage of doing that? Well, drug addiction, alcohol abuse, right? Self-soothing in other ways. I have I have a person that I know who has been to rehab a good few times. It has not worked. And this person only started to reveal to other people other than myself just, just over a year ago. that and, and, and they only started revealing because they were in a tight corner where they felt like they couldn't abuse any more substances anymore. You know, there, there comes a point you can't get drunk enough. You can't get high enough to escape, okay? And and the, this person is struggling, was struggling, living a full heterosexual relationship, three kids and all of this stuff, you know, but then when the missus is off on holiday or whatever, excuses were made as to why he couldn't go. And next thing you know, there's a boom, boom room in, in the couple's house. And it's like, that sounds really seedy and nasty and disgusting, right? And some people might be like, well, why can't he, why can't he just be true to himself? Mm. But why F word, this word, that word, like it's like the culture, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. As black African Christian men, how do we go back home and say, hey, so here's how I've been feeling without, without them getting the holy oil out. And the thing is, it's sort of like a lot of people could say, but why do they have to be Christian? Because a lot of us are born into our faith, just right. like other cultures are born into their faith. Right. And as much as you try and stray from it, you kind of go back to what you're familiar with because that's all that you know. And that's what you've been surrounded by. And that that feels terrifying, if I'm honest with you. I've, I've, <clears throat> I've been open with it. So many people, I guess, offline, but I've got no shame in saying this on, on like for everyone to hear here. I don't give a monkeys whether my children are single. Let's stress that. Mm-hmm. I don't need them to be in a relationship. I want them to be content with themselves. Mm-hmm. But I don't care if they're single. Don't care if they get in a relationship with guy, girl, however they identify. As long as they're happy in their own skin, as long as they're not hurting anybody, mm-hmm. and they can be the best version of themselves. I am not going to live their lives for them. I don't want to stay around for longer than I need to be. I just need them to be equipped enough to be able to wear a smile being them. Mm-hmm. Their sexuality, their faith, all that stuff is not an issue for me. And the reason for that is because I choose happiness. Yeah. I don't want people to be upset just because of something that doesn't impact me. Yes, people could say, and I've heard people say, Oh, but if everyone's gay, the population will die. <laughs> You're not wrong, potentially, but there's some families out there that are just doing the most. Like some families out there think they're rabbits. <laughs> like they think they come from that lineage. That's not the case. But the reality is, is that funny how people have issues with stuff like that, but they will drive a Prius and dash cigarettes out the window or dash plastic out the window. So can I tell you something, right? Go for it. So I, I, um, <laughs> when I was being quizzed 
um, by certain relatives about my sexual orientation. And when I say quizzed, that should give you an idea that this is not a positive conversation. It was dressed in the in the guise of positivity, of like, oh, tell me, tell me, tell me. And in my mind, and I, and I, I really do not care. Like when I tell you, I do not care, right? What I'm about to share here, because it's my life, it's my story, it's my truth, yeah. I was asked by a relative, you know, in like a false caring voice, you know, and, and mind you, this person is like the merchant of like gossip, right? Every family has one. This is like, you know, they pretend to mind their business, but they don't. Yeah. Instead, you you know, one time they actually said to me that my business is their business. Um, so vociferously as well, which I, can I just unequivocally disagree right now. Anywho, this person asked me, so like, are you gay or are you straight? Like, what are you? And I said, what I'll tell you is that I'm okay. Because you should have had this conversation with me when I was 21. That's when I was in, in the most pain. And this person went ahead and continued to speak about things. And then they and then they used they used my personal business, right? It was completely inappropriate. They used my personal business to then spark a conversation with other family members. Um, can I just highlight that these people, they do not know where I live. In the sense that they haven't bothered to try and find out. They don't know what my financial situation is. They don't know why I take sabbaticals. You know, these are the people that when they ask, how is therapy? They don't ask so that they can check on how I'm doing. They ask so that they can then also assert how much they don't believe in therapy. Yeah. Okay. And these are the same people who talk about, who, who wants to have that kind of sex? Ugh. You know, so... You know, I've come to the point where I have bega- I've began to release the meaning of, of certain people's opinions, right? Because actually, it's not even just about the orientation. Sometimes, sometimes it's about the t- career path, which I've also experienced, where people don't understand how I can sort of like hop and skip and bounce from thing to thing. But then if we want to compare notes, okay, about who's actually been able to affect the lives of millions of people, Okay. And I don't like to go there, but it is fact, okay? I have discovered that being my authentic self actually earns me the celebration that I deserve. It just doesn't come from the people you think you're going to get it from. Yeah. And and I will never stand by any human being who says that they care for somebody or they love somebody and they will protect somebody when they will sit there and accuse them of lying about their experience, which I have experienced, which will accuse them of not being, um, not of, of being an attention seeker, which I have experienced. You know, um, this same relative had a, had a meltdown at me one time, um, an entire meltdown, like, you know, like F you and everything because they couldn't understand why I spoke freely on breakfast television about the importance of young people speaking out about being sexually abused. For them, it was, it was more sensible to keep that a secret. And they said to me, was it for the money? Was it for the fame? Was it worth it? F you. Wow. See, for me, I'm in a headspace where I remember listening to a book. I listen to books rather than read them because I do a lot of driving to and me from too. work. <laughs> and I cannot remember the name of the book. It escapes me. But uh, Munya Chihuahua was on it. Mm-hmm. And it was a whole host of different black artists on there. And they were telling their truths. 
and they, I think it was a person who was out was had come out mm-hmm. and what they said was about the oppression that we have, you know, the, the stigma that's put around homosexuality and so forth like that. And we must work twice as hard to do this. And I couldn't help but think for those of us that have heard that, oh, well, black people have to work twice as hard to get, you know, to the same place that someone can just wake up and roll out of bed and they just fall into that opportunity. Imagine having to work so hard to get to a place just to try and be equal with people, but you're still wearing a mask. Like that for me just feels all sorts of uncomfortable, all sorts of torture. That just feels inhumane. And the fact that people are willingly contributing to that feeling that you and other people may have felt hurts. I apologize for all the things I said as a youngster. I apologize for anything I may say now that may be offensive. And if no one educates me, I will try and educate myself. But I would like to hope that other people can have a conversation to help educate one another so we can be better. But I want to ask you a question because you've already spoke about how, you know, you've learned lessons from this isn't necessarily a loss, but how at your worst, how did you feel and what support was available for you? If anything. Mm. So I mean, I've been at my worst several times. You know, I've 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 hit rock bottom at different. You know, I've hit the the rock bottom of different valleys in life. You know, so I'm blessed that like I keep moving on and I keep moving forward. But I've 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 landed. Um, family wise, oh. <laughs> uh, family wise, let me start by just shouting out some of my cousins who who are like sort of in my age group, some younger. Shout out to my nieces and nephews who are old enough to understand the stuff and that I have conversed with. Um, uh, no shout outs to the aunties them or the uncles them car. <laughs> wow. But but I, um, I will say this. Before I, could, before I felt like I could talk to my supportive cousins about this, I definitely was alone. Uh, like alone and the feeling I used to describe is like being stabbed with a thousand daggers in the heart over and over and you survive to feel the feeling every single time and is you know and and that's when I was 21 that's when it really kind of like hit me and instead of like you know people saying like oh like, like what's actually going on or taking the approach and saying like no nah, something's up like we need to kind of let's care for this person you know it's kind of thing of like gosh you're so dramatic oh god you're so extra oh god when would you stop oh it's enough already, you know? And then every now and again, like homophobic slurs would slip. Bear in mind, I haven't said anything out loud, but they're just like watching and observing me. So no one's actually caring to ask important questions, but homophobic slurs are just getting dropped every now and again. You know, you got one person talking about what you call yourself a man. You think you're a man yet, yeah. mm. you know? And then you got another person who observed my behavior one time when I'm having a good time. And they'll say like, oh, no wonder why people say what they say about you. You know, all the way to like the, you know, you effing F word, this, 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 do you know what I mean? Like in the middle of an argument or a fight and those things, it really just kind of like, pull, it just pushes you back like, whoa. And Cause there's people who are like in house and you feel like, right, like if I, if anyone was going to have my back, it would have been this person, but they don't. But can I ask you this question then? You're saying about <clears throat> how people may be able to observe you, notice your mannerisms and how you carry yourself and things like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. How, and I ask this so I'm aware. Yeah. How would you want a person to approach you to ask you that question how do you how does someone do it in an inoffensive way but in a sincere way 
because I'm thinking off the top of my head, and I, I like to think I'm a quick thinker, but mm. I'm struggling to think of how I could go, pull up and go, can I just ask a question? Mm. What's your sexual orientation? For me, I wouldn't ask that because I wouldn't give a monkeys. Mm. But if it's important, I'd like to know. But I, I, I'm, I'm just asking, I'm being honest with you here. Yeah, of course. First of all, I, don't, I just don't think it's a question that needs to be asked. Generally, whether you know me or you don't know me, I don't feel like it's a question that needs to be asked. The same way this whole coming out of the closet thing to me is a, is a whole farce. Not, I'm not into it. I think, um, I think in terms of like, if you want, if you're, if you're trying to like lend a hand to support somebody, and you want to understand their situation before you can open your mouth to speak, then it's a good time to like, just you know, ask, approach them. But like, I really don't intend to to cause any offense. But I, I'd like to ask is, you know, what's the case with X, Y, Z? And I ask because and give a reason as to why, you know, whereas when when certain relatives ask me, they didn't ask me before because they cared. And I want to just be so vociferously clear on this. They did not ask me because they cared. They needed ammunition for the gossip mill, okay? And and so, you know, these are people that, and this is not just in in my own experience. I mean, there there are fam- there are families like this across the world in every race. Um, <laughs> they will ask, and if you say yes, that's the case, and so on and so forth, they will turn and say to whoever they 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 had a conversation. With, hmm, you see, I told you. Mm-hmm. You know, and that and that's the approach. I just want to be so clear. It's inhumane. Yeah, it's unkind. I would go as far as to say it is actually evil. And I have been labeled dramatic my whole life. Now I don't care. Yeah. I actually, I actually don't care. Um, I, I got a phone. I, I had to make a phone call to an auntie who was gossiping about me. And I said, what's actually going on? She goes, well, I heard you say, I overheard you on the phone and, and you know, on the, on the loudspeaker, which again, it's like, wow. So you're eavesdropping. Okay. That's, that's grown up. I don't respect it. I don't respect it. Um, and then she started relaying some things that she had heard and whatever. Then I just sort of said, look, at the end of the day, I'm too old to defend myself against any kind of stories or whatever. I am who I am. And I've had to defend myself against you people my whole life anyway. And whether I bring home Benjamin or Bethany, that's absolutely up to me. Um, I also said to them, that if you understood the pain and the confusion and the turmoil, the heartache, you know, I'm, I'm so blessed that I've never felt like dying because of this, but it's bad. It gets bad. And I said, if you understood how bad it was for me, perhaps you might be a bit more compassionate about it. So I was so respectful in my approach, but at the same time, I wasn't beating around the bush or pussyfooting. I was like, listen, I'm into what I'm into. And like the last time I checked, you men don't even finance anything to do with my life. You don't, you don't check on me even just to find out like, are you all right? You know, and, and like this African mentality of like, no, kids are meant to call us. No, you laid down to make these babies. You don't buy a puppy for the puppy to check on you. Do you know what I'm saying? You don't. You don't. And so I don't give a, I don't care whose feathers get ruffled, you know, when I say this. The point is, as your child... In Africa, that's how it is. We don't do the whole auntie, uncle, nep- niece, nephew thing. It's just mums and dads and picnic them, right? And as far as I'm concerned, if you have a real concern that you're supposed to reach out with love, not discuss me, and the excuses used like, oh, we wanted to pray for you so you can come home with a nice wife. And I said, what if I don't want that? And I had to be strong and bold and say, no, but what if I don't want that? Because what if I don't want that? Yeah. What if I don't want that? 
absolutely, I'd love to have a family in a conventional setting and all this kind of stuff. But I'm still reckoning with where exactly I am. Um, you know, I like women. I like men. I don't know who I want to spend the rest of my life with. Can I ask a question though on that? Mm. You say you'd like to, like, I get that. Mm. that and that's, and obviously you probably noticed what I said before, mm. that being single, not everyone wants to be in a relationship. Mm-hmm. I accept that. But you mentioned about you'd like to have a family. Mm-hmm. I know we've had conversation in the past about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to know, is it that you want a family because you want a family or because that has been the picture of what a, what an adult looks like when you get of a certain age, if, you, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Because sometimes, yeah. because you've seen it so often, it's all like, I want to drive. Why don't I want to drive for? Because I've seen everyone drive around me for like the longest time. I feel like I need to drive. So no, no, otherwise I would have done it a long time ago. I know, I know people that I've grown up around who are oriented just like me, but they've gone and bred up the whole world and had enough picnic. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, and so, and, but that's obviously to try and prove something, to try and meet that status quo. Hopefully if I can do this, it'll disprove that. Yeah. yeah. And so I vowed when I was nine years old, when I was nine years old, that's when I saw my parents' situation falling apart. And I said, gosh, it's, and I remember saying to myself, I kid you not hear this listeners. I said, this didn't work out, right? This hasn't worked out. It's not working out, but it doesn't mean that that's how it has to be for me because I did see a beauty in it. I did see years where my parents loved on each other and they were good to each other and kind to each other and they were affectionate with one another. And that affection resonates very much with me. I'm a very affectionate person, but then I'm in absolutely no rush. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to sneakily get somebody pregnant in order to make it happen. I want to make sure that I am the most stable possible human being before that I I, I take a step like that. And if it turns out that that is not the path for me, then I'll figure out another way to do it. It is, it is a matter of reckoning and it's an everyday reckoning. You don't just discover one day like, oh, he's kind of nice. And then ding, that's all. Like there are so many <laughs> dynamics, so many layers, yeah. you know, so many layers. And I'm and listen, I'm not alone, man. Listen, I've been on Grindr. Yeah. For those who don't know, it's a hookup app here for the man who's trying to get some. Right. And I live in South London. So you can imagine what the grid looks like in South London, okay? <laughs> a lot of black profiles and brown and black skin profiles, a lot of di- hashtag discreet profiles, hashtag don't tell my girl, like, and all this stuff. So I'm free to chat because let me tell you something. I feel like I'm most definitely not alone. I'm just one of the brothers who doesn't mind actually speaking about it and speaking freely without throwing people under the bus by name. But trust me, I do not walk alone. And for me to answer your question, I want it because I want it. But if if my desire for something else outweighs that, then I'm not going to force it. I'm, I'm in my mid-30s. I could have forced it by now. I'm old enough to have kids in secondary school, dude. And you know what? I appreciate your honesty. I, I'm grateful that you feel comfortable enough to have these conversations on this platform. And I would like to feel that there are going to be people that are going to learn a lot from this. I am learning a lot. And I think that's what it's all about. Like I said, it's all about trying to learn, to grow, to evolve, to keep bettering yourself, to better other people. Mm-hmm. Break the cycle of what's gone on before because a lot of the stuff we've been on before was from ignorance mm-hmm. and they're perpetuated. And sometimes you've got to say, but why should I be seen and not heard? That makes no sense. Why should I be looking after you? Like you mentioned, you don't buy a dog to then to come look after you. You 
You know what I mean? It doesn't make sense. Make it make sense. It don't make no sense. People, get your head straight. I want to ask you a question about this. And because I know, guys, girls, he's listened to my podcast. So he knows how to get my questions up before I answer them, right? So it's, it's hard. It's hard, people. It's hard. But I have got ammunition here. So my question is, and it's really important for me to ask this question, I believe. And it's, whatever stage in your life you want to talk about at this minute, whether it be in your 20s, in your, when you're 17, 18, or mm. more recently, at a time where your family made you feel such a way mm. that you... I'm not, I don't want to say you didn't like yourself, but I know that I've personally had moments where I've not liked myself. Mm-hmm. But if people have made you feel some sort of way and you were struggling with it, mm. what would you have said to your younger self at that point? Please tell us the age that you, you'd go back to. But what would you say to yourself to help pull you out of it? Because clearly you got out of it because you're still here talking to me very eloquent in how you're presenting your information and you're living your best life at the moment, which is thankful. <laughs> but what would you have said to yourself at that time to pull you through and say, do you know what? This is not, this is not you. Yeah. It's yeah. you are not the problem. Yeah. What, what would you have said to yourself to pull you through that time in a healthy way so that you come out stronger rather than a broken or a more broken person? Mm-hmm. I would talk, I would, I would go back to the sort of like circa, 10 to 13 years old. Um, and it, that's when I became really aware of my individuality and so and so did everybody else. And a lot of the adults around me talked about how noisy I was, disruptive, how naughty, um, how I ate too much, um, you know? And it's like, even at kids' birthday parties, I was just getting watched, you know, like getting watched, like how many burgers he's going to eat, you know? And, and it's really mad. It sounds mad trivial saying it, but let me say that again, because rule number nine on my on my 10 ways to show me that I love me is stop minimizing your trauma, okay? I remember going to my best friend's birthday party when he turned nine. And I remember I wanted to people please so badly that I said to my mom, mom, I promise you I'm going to eat only one burger today. When I come back, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to come back home and tell you that I ate only one burger today. So we're at this party and they're serving up the food and everything. And this is, and, I'm t- and I picked this party particularly because there was no family members. They were just me and my classmates and the birthday boy. And I remember like, you know, they were like, oh, are you sure you don't want any more? Da, 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 whatever. And I was like, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Right. Lord knows I could have definitely eaten more. But that was the voices of when these people made me feel like, you know, I ain't nothing but greedy, disruptive, naughty, loud, abrasive, too much, a burden, okay? And I remember, like, going back home. I was the last to leave because, you know, he was my best friend, So, and his parents offered to drive me home. And then, like, you know, when they got home, they're like, oh, he was so well-behaved and everything. And deep inside, that made me feel so good. But I remember that day. That was in 1997. I remember that day because I was not myself. Okay, and what I would turn on and say to that boy now, I would say, you know what? You may not understand it now, but you are the way you are because they're just symptoms of your environment. They're symptoms of the chaos that you're living in. You can't tell now because you you've been living in it from the from day zero. 
but you live in chaos and you live in a household that has no, no distinctive plan for you. And there is no safeguarding plan for your well-being, for your emotional well-being, because we don't speak that language in 1997 Zimbabwe. We don't. We don't. So I need you to just be strong right now because what's happening to you is not your fault. What you're presenting are symptoms of an environment that you have no control over. And this environment has existed far longer than you've been alive. So relax, be okay, and have another fucking burger. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, wow, wow. Do you know what? That's powerful stuff. And do you know what? I actually made me think that could you have been emotionally eating and not know it was emotionally eating? You know what I mean? It's all like, it, it, it really makes you think. I've done the work. I was. I've done the work. I was. I was because I was always, it was always like, stop it, stop it. Anything I wanted to do. If I'm, if I was just going to go a little bit too far out of the acceptable zip, stop it, stop it. So if I couldn't express, I'm like, cool, I'm going to eat. Yeah. It, this is just so fascinating to me. And it, it and I think cause obviously very similar culture, yes, different islands, but similar culture. Mm. And for me, and I don't get me wrong. I, you know, I'm going to probably offend people where it is, where it is, right? I people are ignorant and it hurts me because when I think about them days, mm-hmm. you're feeling like, why? Why didn't you try to do better? Mm. And why is it now that I feel like I'm dogging on you for all the stuff you've done? Like you, the trauma that it probably causes a lot of us that causes tension in our everyday relationships today, not even just amongst our peers in our family settings, our cousins, our brothers and whatever else. But when we go to work and we can't, articulate ourselves we can't express ourselves because people are wondering why we've gone from being happy 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 to suddenly overcome with crippling fear and dreaded f- judgment about oh i did this so oh it's messed up it's messed up and it's hard and it's hurtful and i'm it's unfortunate that you've been exposed to that however i'm grateful that you're able to share Mm. Because you're in a place that allows you to share, you're willing to share your truth, yeah, and to let people who may feel that way may not understand that maybe they've said things or carried themselves or haven't understand understood the ramifications of what they said and how it can impact another mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah, I, I mean, think- I, I, I'll add. So, sorry to interject. I'll add. Like you know, when you said, like you know. You don't want to feel like you're 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 you're, you're dogging on you know the people. Listen, I don't feel that way, man. I used to feel like it, but then that's just another way of minimizing my trauma, and and that's for me. That's a way of me devaluating my 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 feelings. I won't do it. I won't do it because because you know what? For me to do the best that I can consciously, consciously, not just by default because I grew up in a particular environment. No, for me to consciously do the best I can for my nieces, my nephews, and eventually my own children. I have to be able to address my truth. I will not feel shame for calling out auntie this one and uncle that one for being dickheads. I'm not good. I'm not because it was that. Whether they knew, whether they're doing their best, cool. I'm not mad at them because I can. I, I've been studying attachment theory and it's a beautiful, beautiful subject because it really helps you to understand that the pathologies of humanity really can't be, you can't really blame a person. You can just understand the situation, draw the tools that you can from it and then build forward in order to do better. So that's the path I'm on. I'm not on a rampage to like flamethrow, you know, people, whatever. And no, I'm not dogging on them, right? If they feel ashamed for my openness, 
We don't have to be cool because again, I take care of my finances. I take care of my housing. These people don't even know where I lay my head at night. Do you understand? Like, and, and the same way they they don't care about my well-being now, they didn't care about my well-being when I was younger, when it was even more important. They can say that they did, but let's look at the evidence, okay? The evidence shows that words were said, things were done, discussions were had, gossip was spread, emotions were minimized, experiences were were, were, were devalued, right? And discredited, and voices were shushed. And in fact, and I quote, one auntie said, I just think you children these days are weak. So guess what? I do not feel any way. I don't feel like I'm dogging on anyone. I'm owning my narrative. I have to be honest about where I've come from. And I ask myself an important question when I'm triggered these days. I ask myself, what conversation am I having with myself about this feeling? That's not me going back to, oh, my brother did this, or my mom said that to me, or like my aunt. No, no, no. This is me saying, okay, something happened maybe once or twice, and then it's been on replay ever since when a particular scenario plays out. What conversation am I having about this now? And do you know what it's allowed me to do, Matt? It's allowed me to avoid becoming ugly when I'm triggered. Yeah. It's allowed me to not cast people's backside. Yeah. When I get angry, when I'm triggered, it's allowed me to really be like, okay, ooh, that feeling has come. All right, let me sit with this feeling. Ooh, this is horrid. Okay, why does this feel like this? Okay, this speaks to abandonment or this speaks to rejection or this speaks to loneliness or this speaks to shame, all of which are ugly words to say publicly or even to yourself in the mirror. Yeah? 100%. And so as long as I can sit with, okay, I feel ashamed right now. I feel less than right now. The other day, my boy came to visit me. He goes, how you doing, bro? I said, man, I've been feeling so inadequate lately. Me, King Kasajani, who knew that one day I'd be able to actually say to somebody, with, with my reputation as a confident, forthcoming, eloquent man, right? That for me to be just casually say, yeah, I've been feeling inadequate lately. But guess what? I was able to sit with that sentence. I was able to sit with what it meant. And I was able to build some steps along that wall right around that bat, that well. And I walked out of that inadequacy because I was able to identify it. So the same way I'm going to call out the people them, I will call, I respectfully, I'm not going to call people by name and stuff. If they ever listen, you know who you are, feel ashamed. Um, but it's like, I, I have to call it out. It is true. I will not be gaslit. And th- that truth is what I'm going to build the steps to get out of this hole out of. And that's powerful. I think... For those people that do listen and do feel some sort of way and you are one of the contributing factors, whether it be to King himself or to other people in your life, in your circle, in your environment, you always have the opportunity to do better. If you're just going to get gaslit over the situation, like, hey, my gosh, they called me out. Okay, do you know what? You're making it about yourself. That's the wrong attitude to have you might want to take into consideration the damaging impact you could have on someone that you say you care about. If you can't look at them now and care about the same way you did as a baby, you might want to check yourself. And I don't like to tell people what to do on this podcast because that's not what it's about. It's about people doing their own thing. But I'm just conscious of the damage you could be having with people that you're saying you care about, but your actions may not mirror that. So I'm taking a lot from this. I hugely am grateful for the conversation. Um, I hope this is not help. This is not brought up any traumas in you. There's not no, made good. you feel any which way, no. <laughs> in a negative way. But just remind the folks: if this wasn't the L, what was it? 
Um, I learned to empathize. I learned to empathize and I learned to, I learned to be honest with myself as well over time because I realized that even if I spoke out and after feeling hella nervous, speaking out to, to, to loved ones and people who I felt cared um, about this thing and then kind of meeting a wall of dismissal, it automatically invalidates. And, but what it doesn't do, it doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't take away the frustration. So I'm like, okay, now the best thing I can do instead of speaking to these people and say, you did this or you did that, because most of them are just going to avoid it. <laughs> and they're going to, if they can, they'll shut you down. Um, so what I've decided to do is, is just to speak the truth of how I feel about a situation to myself. And it's, it's empowered me. Um, so I'm able to, through the pain, empathize and say, hey, be careful how you speak to people. Be careful how you relate to other individuals. Because, you know, it really might be a, 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 a very steep uphill battle for them. So that's one thing. And then the the, the, the big lesson for me is like, um, it's empowered me, man, because I can literally sit here. And the only reason why sometimes I might take some pauses is because I'm like, oh my God, this is really big. And I'm actually going to say it out loud, you know, because I do acknowledge the magnitude of what I'm sharing. Um, and the reason why before I never used to really see the magnitude in the things I'm sharing is because I was so accustomed to being trivialized and being muted. So if I said something, I never thought it held much weight or value. I didn't think it had much gravitas, but then walking in my worthiness for the last few years, which is like really powerful and freeing by the way, Ooh, you know, like kind of when you go, when you walk into a realm and you do you and you're not even doing it for money you're just you're not doing it for, for clout and then people turn around days weeks months sometimes years later you know like i remember receiving a letter a couple of years ago from this brother and he said to me you came to my school when i was 15 you know and you spoke to me i spoke to the whole assembly but he said you spoke to me and he said i'm starting my dream job tomorrow and that's thanks to you you know when stuff when stuff like that happens and i'm like and i wasn't there trying to be macho man Man wasn't there trying to be South London. You get me, blood? Man wasn't trying to move like that. It was just as me. I, you can tell I grew up in the bits, isn't it? Like, <laughs> a, little, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> no, but it's like I... So getting to see that there is a whole human life that has also felt overlooked, that has also felt bypassed, and they experienced me for a fraction of a day. And years later, the man can find me and say, hey... I'm walking into my dream job tomorrow and it's because of you. So empathy, empowerment, encouragement, growth, self-improvement, self-love, self-acceptance. That's what's come from this. And no, I do not thank the bastards who made me feel the way that I felt. I don't thank them because there are ways of making a person feel worthy and a person to feel adequate and a person to feel loved. There is a way to do that without putting them through hell. So some people say, well, actually, I thank them. I don't. If anything, I petition and wish that their children don't inherit their sins um, or don't have to pay the burden of their sins because, you know, they're really ugly. And I'm not here to, like, do, like, a daisy, rosy, nice, fragrant message for those people. I'm not angry at them, but I'm just like, you did what you did. Yeah. So I am going to get you on another episode. But, people, hopefully <laughs> you get to understand why these conversations with him are so... Why I enjoy him so very eloquent, very passionate, it's authentic, yet it leaves you feeling 
uplifted more than anything else because he's coming with the facts. He's saying things that you think, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that. But they're just sort of like, it's not offensive, but I've been brought up to say, you can't say this to your parents. You can't say that to your elders. <laughs> and you're thinking, this doesn't make sense because you're turning around and telling me I've got to say this to my boss, but then I can't say this to you because you're my parent. Yeah, yeah, you had sex, yeah. I came about and awkward. It's people just i hope you've enjoyed the conversation there was another l was meant to touch on but time escapes us because this just kept going i had to try and reclaim some of the questions that he stole from me um, <laughs> he, he, he just he just vexed because i took that analogy that he used and for anyone that wants to know that analogy that he well not even analogy as such but he was given a clear idea saying with his brunch brothers he was talking, the reason, well, one of the reasons that he told me how he created it and what type of space he would create, it was because he says that when man them go to the club, you go to the toilet, it's just, it's just not the spot to even go loo. It's, it, you, no, it's just rank. But I'll get a whole bunch of girls, science happens to them, boom, they go into the toilet, they clear it all off, it's a therapy session. But man them don't do that for one another. Where do man them have that type of space? We don't. We don't create it. King's out here creating them type of spaces and I've got mad respect for him. He's had different p- groups of people just sharing, feeling. He's all explained himself how it works. And I guess I never really thought about it, but I guess I appreciate that space and I've always wanted to help perpetuate such things. Hence why I've like facilitated and I've been asked to come and help and support him in doing his work. But it is so important for me to make people feel included. This podcast, I, I, I love it with so much passion because so many times I've had people to share what they want to share. I've never asked them to talk, well, one person I've asked if they don't mind talking about one topic, but I think they're all you can talk about anyway. But I like the fact people tell me what they want to talk about and they share it. And then when other people want to listen, it's always interesting to see, what episode do you listen to? And if it's the most recent one, it's like, well, what's the next one you listen to? Because it means that yeah. there's different topics for why you want to do it. And the connection is just unreal. I love it. And I can't then say, I want people to feel included. And then someone wants to talk about a topic and I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not the one. That's not the one. Yeah, It's it, no discrimination. Come on, tell your truth because I do not want another person to feel alone. I want my guests to be respectful. I want my guests to be honest, but ultimately I want them to feel included. And by them telling their truths, hopefully other people have their eyes open that is more inclined to listen, to understand, rather than just to listen, just to hear. I want them to be able to understand what is being said, the larger impacts, and have an opportunity to say, do you know what? Let me challenge myself to be a better version of myself after that conversation. Let me learn from someone else's experience without having to go through that myself. I would like you, sir, to please share for the next couple minutes. I know you already did at the beginning but where people can contact you, what you got going on. This is your time to selfishly plug yourself for the next two minutes and then we're going to wrap up. Awesome. I'd like to start by saying thank you so much for having me. Um, it, it's more than just about the topics why I'm here. You are a phenomenal man, a phenomenal husband, a phenomenal father. I admire you so much. And also you were extremely funny. And so it just makes all your hard truths even easier to digest. So thanks for having me here. Um, you can find me on social media. He humbly nods, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you can follow me on um, Instagram and Twitter at Johnny Kingdom, A-J-A-N-I-K-I-N-G-D-O-M. And also you can follow my podcast, which is called Zero to Zen on all the platforms that you can find a good podcast. And also uh, Zero to Zen World on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. So that's the word zero, T-O-Z-E-N World. Look at that. My guy's dropping some serious titles on here. It's not as good as every other podcast. But you know, you know, you know, you know, the content's still there. First of all, can I just say something, right? Let me just, let me say this. I'm going to be so blunt, yeah? Right, right? Only us people in London know what L you're talking about. People in New York might know what L you're talking about. Some people in LA might know what L you're talking about, okay? But Zero to Zen is universal, okay? We've all seen Mr. Maggie. <laughs> How dare you downplay? How dare you? <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> It's fine. I might edit this out of the episode. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how universal is that if it ain't in the show notes. Let's see how that runs, right? Yeah, we'll see how that runs. Be like, Matt, where's the stuff for my plugin? I know you're about. You said yours is universal. You don't need promo. You're good. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> mind you guys also but my, by the way just so you know i was meant to be on the um i was meant to do this taping two weeks ago but i couldn't do it because i was film, filming a netflix show and matt had the audacity to say so you couldn't just change the shoot date i was like well matt you know 100 extras 50 crew and sort of like two or three million pounds on set i don't know bro don't know yeah but he didn't get paid anything because it was extra so like i actually got paid today <laughs> by the way mind your business i actually got paid today thank you very much yes thank you <laughs> <laughs> see, see, this, this is. Let's be honest, right? How do we go from having a lighthearted conversation to going like so deep into a conversation to having this? This, this for me, right? And this is why I like my intro music that was custom made. Can I just throw out there, right? Okay. Where it's just hyped, and then it just mellows. Yeah. And then it mellows to just get hyped. <laughs> that is me. That is me where it's like, right, let's just have this conversation. Let's have a conversation. Well, next thing you know, we're busting jokes. And I think that's what's important. It's always important to know and embrace the, the times that we have, the things that are not 100. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, know that them things don't last forever. And if they do last a long time, reach out. Whether it be me or someone else, reach out. We'll try and help you see the light eventually. And as everyone knows, I like to say, there's nothing about a caterpillar that taste can be a butterfly. And that is how we just got to look at our lives, look at our situations. So just don't, please be encouraged by what's been said in this episode. Please reach out if you feel you would like to. If you know anyone that wants to be a guest, do so. And by the way, folks, there's a whole heap of you that are listening to this on Apple Podcasts. Do me a solid and just leave a review. Leave me a little bit of a review about what you love about it. If you don't like it, <clears throat> just keep moving. Um, but, Rate it, because the, the more people rate it, the more people will be able to find it. And I'd like to think that young or old, people can learn and better themselves from the multiple conversations that have been had. I don't want people to feel alone for various reasons, because I don't want them to do anything that will hurt them mentally, physically, or otherwise. They might lash out on someone else. I don't mm-hmm. want that. But guys, girls, however you identify, I want to, again, thank my guests for being on. Thank all my other previous guests for being on. Leave a review, like, reach out to me on every old podcast on Twitter and Instagram. I'm mainly on Instagram, if I'm honest with you. LinkedIn, if you're there. But ultimately, look after yourself, be good to one another, and just don't minimize your traumas, as I've learned today. And rule number nine. Rule number nine.
Look after yourselves. Take care. And I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Take care. Take care, guys.